the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Looking for strategies to help you protect your portfolio in these uncertain times? Visit RobBlack.com. RobBlack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Earnings will be the crux of the matter for 2023. 2022, it was really, in my opinion, all about the Federal Reserve raising interest rates. We saw companies earn money. We didn't even think twice about what's that mean? We ignored the earnings because we saw the interest rate hikes. Stocks become less interesting in higher interest rates. Changes the value of how much the company earns, but it also gives people the opportunity to go for safer investments. My best investment last year on a funny level might have been cash. Yielding 4% by the end of the year compared to a market down 30% in the NASDAQ, 20% in the S&P 500, 10% in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Those are rough numbers, but pretty close. So last year, the stock market was all about the Federal Reserve raising interest rates. The thinking was the higher rates would adversely impact economic growth and consequently earnings growth. This year, we're going to see how the earnings growth plays out. With earnings prospects and questions, equity valuations were called into question last year, and the universal judgment was that stocks were overvalued. That's fair to say. Struggles in 2022 are rooted in the understanding of the Fed's easy monetary policy was going to be ending and that they were going to be stricter by raising interest rates. This changed the tone of the market. Some people would say artificially that the guy named Jerome Powell said, yeah, let's take the cheap money away from the table and the party. And let's let the, let's let the night finish with milk. After a whole night of drinking alcohol, let's switch to milk. Very different environment, and your stomach is going to get very upset. That's what happened last year. Do I think I'll ever get another mortgage in my lifetime at 2.5%? I do not. Do I think it's the best mortgage that I'll ever get in my life? I do think it was. And now that that punch bowl is gone, I'm like, I wish I would have got five more of those. I don't want to say earnings are inconsequential right now, but we're still in the little bit of a teeter-totter move from when do we stop thinking about higher interest rates and when do we start thinking about earnings? And I I think Wall Street at the start of 2023 is saying, you know, hey, it's going to be an earnings year and it's not going to be an interest rate year. I don't think we're quite there yet. So I I wouldn't be surprised if this is a false rally. With that said, I'm still mostly invested. So I'm happy. Not all companies issue specific guidance that's worthy of note. But we do need to see earnings expectations, which is earnings guidance, come down. The S&P 500 earnings were expected as of January 6th to decline 4% year over year. 
according to FactSet, which is one of the best producers of financial data that is out there. The blended growth rate, which accounts for companies that have reported and estimates for companies that have not, currently stands at earnings down 4.8% for the first quarter. So a lot of people in my industry are earnings-based. In the end, it's all about how much money they earn. I would say Warren Buffett isn't really earnings-focused. He's more, he likes cash flow. He likes debt and services shareholders with cash flow. <clears throat> I can't lie. It's, 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 you know, some guys like blonde, some guys, gentlemen prefer brunettes. I don't know. We all want something slightly different from corporations and investments. Not, not all of us. I mean, it's not all that slightly. I mean, there's, there's groups of people. That's what I'm trying to say. The banks will be getting the earnings party going right about now. They don't provide a lot of specific earnings per share revenue uh, guidance either. They generally have plenty to say about what they're seeing in total demand, loan demand, credit quality, trends, general economic conditions. So I think the financials, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Bank of America, a little bit on Wells Fargo, really tell us what the heck is happening in the U.S. economy. And if you listen to their earnings calls, I think they're some of the most fruitful Market participants will be paying close attention to what the banks are saying about credit quality and what they're accounting for in terms of loan loss reserves relative to their loan base. We've started to see credit card late payments go up. The interest rate on on credit cards this year could hit over 20%, which is, I honestly think someone should write a letter to their congressman, House of Representative, whatever. 20% seems a little bit high. I'm not doing it. I pay off my credit cards on a monthly basis. I'm not carrying you know, debt with that. No, 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 no. So the banks will set the tone early with respect to the market understanding of economic conditions before giving way to the industrial consumer staples. And then we get the consumer discretionary. Then we get the technology. I love earning season. And again, the what I'm looking for is going to be slightly different than what you're looking for. And slightly different than what like EP wealth and their investment policy committee might be looking for. I think that's fair to say, okay. Estimates are the crux of the market matters right now. Currently, the S&P 500 trades at 17 and a half times 2023 estimates, which makes it a little bit expensive. Not wildly, the 10-year historical average is 17.2. The long-term average is more like 15 times earnings. When the market's at 12 times earnings, I'm loving it. When the market's at 18 to 20 times earnings, I'm not loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-bop. It just makes it a little bit more like you're chasing performance. So the right now, the market's trading at a little bit of a premium to the historical 10-year average. But if earnings estimates comes down, that's not the case. This is a little wonky. I know it. You know it. You're like, you don't get this wonky usually, Rob. Um. But this is the year where we're going again from inflation to earnings focus. Not quite yet. I still think we're in the interest rate part of the hiking cycle. But by the end of the year, it's expected that we might be actually cutting rates. Even though the Fed's saying, nope, we're going to keep them, keep them where they are for a long time after we're done raising. I don't think they will. The market's saying, I don't think they will. 
the bond market and the stock market tell us a lot of truths about what smart money is betting on. And smart money might be better than a government official named Jerome Powell. Again, this is a lot of my opinion, and you should develop your own opinion. You should find people um, that you find to be valuable. Again, I'm going to be paying a lot of attention to the banks. Less attention to the tech companies, more attention to the banks. Um, what's interesting about the tech companies is anything that a company was doing that was speculative is being axed right now. I wonder, I wonder if like Apple's going and Apple's not the issue, but Google, like they have got a, a long-term vision moonshot on healthcare and they're cutting staff there. So that'll save money because they're they're instead of investing in something that may or may not find to extend lives or fight cancer. Um, they're going to say, let's hold off on spending there so we don't have to cut our, our core employees. These are our speculative employees. 30. D- different sectors are going to tell us different things, right? You can find me online at Rob Black. I really like the financials. One more time, Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley. I love those conference calls. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. Don't want to work forever? Check out the retirement planning guide on robblack.com. That's robblack.com, powered by EP Wealth. Welcome into EP Wealth Investors, informed investor market update. I'm Rob Black. Joining me today, Adam Phillips. He's a CFA and CFP. He is EP Wealth's Director of Portfolio Strategy. 2022 is over. We went into a bear market. The Dow was down roughly 10% for the year. The S&P 500, 20%, 19.5%. The NASDAQ, somewhere in that 30% ballpark this year. We've already had one week, and so far it looks good. The NASDAQ up 1.7%. The S&P 500 up 1.8% for the week. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average up 1.4%. That's year to date. I'm not going to Obviously, that's not going to extrapolate into up 50 plus percent. It would be nice, but it's not going to happen. But happy days are here again, Adam. How do you feel about the start of the new year? And maybe is it setting the tone for a better market in 2023 versus 2022? I wish we could extrapolate it. And, and look, it's better than the alternative. We're, we're off to a good start. And I think that's nice. I think the question is, you know, does this continue? You know, right now, the markets are, are really trading range bound. Uh, we're trading in a, in a relatively narrow range. And so when this happens, we're really looking for signs of leadership. What are we seeing um, from the market in terms of the messaging? And are these riskier areas of the market leading? Um, and uh, or, or are they uh, more in, in, in weaker trends? And, and to give you an example, right now, we see gold, really what's often thought of as a safe haven asset is outperforming stocks. And so that tells you, I think, that that maybe the the tilt is still towards the uh, towards the defensive area of the markets, and so there's still a little bit of a risk off sentiment. We'll see which way it breaks, but right now, I think we're really just viewing this as as a short term bounce here. In the coming weeks and months, will probably tell us a lot about where we're going, but uh, we're not uh, viewing this start uh, as a reason to get too excited just yet. Interesting. I think I could count on a four fingered hand how many times gold has beaten stocks in my lifetime. It's a joke about having four yeah. fingers. Um, <laughs> but again, it's it's an alternative. People are looking for alternatives. Let's talk about what we saw last week. Um, the first Friday of the month came. It gave us the jobs report. It felt like on my uh, media side of the fence, again, not stock picking side of the fence, not strategy side of fence, but the media side, that Wall Street kind of dug those numbers. What was in the jobs report that you saw, positive and negative? 
Yeah, well, look, it was really a mixed bag. Um, you know, I, I think on the on the negative side, we saw that the labor market is still extremely tight. the The unemployment rate uh, fell to three and a half percent. So that's the lowest since the 60s. Um, And and so labor market is still extremely tight. Actually, earlier in the week, we got the JOLTS numbers, the uh, job openings and labor turnover survey. It's not as timely um, since that actually uh, reflected November data, but it showed there's 10 and a half million job openings still in the in the. In the U.S. And so still labor market is is extremely tight. What that's been doing over the last several months is it's been putting this upward pressure on wages and making the the Fed's life uh, all the more difficult. So what the market really dug uh, in in that report on Friday was the fact that uh, average hourly earnings, so that that wage measure, uh, actually cooled off a little bit. We saw that that the um, not only was the prior month uh, adjusted downward uh, slightly, but we actually saw the number for uh, the month of December actually came in lower than expected. So now uh, wages are they're still running hot. They're still running you know just north of four and a half percent year over year, um, but that is better than where they were. Um, and, you know they had a five handle not too long ago, and and so it's moving in the right direction. Still a lot of work left to be done here. Um, and, and the Fed, you know, will we'll certainly hope that this continues to trend in, in the right direction. But I, I think you know, that the market viewed it as a positive, certainly. Uh, I think the Fed is, um, they would probably, if, if you were to ask them, they'd probably say, look, this is one month. Uh, we're not going to get too excited yet. And one month is not going to change our outlook for policy. Uh, inflation, whether you're looking at broad market inflation uh, or wage inflation, it's still running much too high. And so, yeah, we're seeing progress, but we're not going to get too excited. So where do you stand on the inflation versus the jobs? Because that's one of the things it feels like is is guiding the market right now. And what I mean by that is the jobs numbers were positive last week. A lot of people have jobs. So we're, we're kind of counting on a soft landing um, from whatever recession that we have, maybe second half, maybe second, third quarter. It's still, you know, it's timing. This is a little bit on the difficult side on my side of the fence. Do you have a preference where you'd rather see a little too hot inflation or a little too hot employment? Is there a teeter-totter switch for you? Because I'm seeing it's a battle and it seems like jobs are helping the market, whereas inflation is hurting the market. Well, I think that's right. You know, the jobs are helping the market. And, and there was a time not too long ago when many were saying we're already in a recession. I'm sure many still think that. Uh, but I think one of the things you can point to uh, as, as support for, for the economy right now, and the reason that we probably aren't in a recession at this moment is, is the strength of the labor market. So the strength of, of households in general, um, that, that likely it, it's probably just uh, delaying the inevitable. If we do, if if we do find ourselves in in a mod, uh, a minor economic downturn, um, I think it's it's probably pushed that further um, down the road just because of this uh, the strength we've seen in recent months. I, I think when you focus on wages, the reason it is so important and, and why we all look at that, and certainly I think that's that's one of the things that the Fed is focusing on so much right now is because you worry about what's called a wage price spiral. Right. Um, wages, uh, even though we're, you know, we shouldn't complain about people taking home you know, larger paychecks. That's great. Um, and uh, but what the what you worry about is these companies that all of a sudden have uh, have to pay more for their workers. They're going to pass on a lot of these higher expenses to their to their end customers, to their to their clients. Right. 
So that just, uh, I, I think this inflation just breeds more inflation. Um, the, these uh, individuals that have, that are taking home larger paychecks, that's going to support ongoing spending, which just makes the Fed's job that much harder when they're trying to cool demand a little bit. So I think that's why they really focus on that. And, and they say, look, we want to get inflation under control, but it's all a balance, right? What they're trying to do is bring down the level of, of job openings. I mentioned is still around 10 and a half million, extremely high. Um, while not um, causing, I guess, a hard landing would be to bring down job openings in addition to causing uh, layoffs to spike and, and seeing a, a jump in unemployment, right? So there's really a, a delicate balance there that they're trying to uh, they're, they're trying to achieve, and, and that really would get them to a soft landing. But still, I, I think the runway. I think the the runway is still there to a soft landing, but I, I think it's narrowed uh, certainly just because we know how aggressive they've been in tightening um, uh, tightening policy over over the last year, and so I, I think it just makes their their job that much more difficult. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll see. I, I think that's really the debate that's going on uh, in real time among investors and, and economists right now. There's never two recessions the same. There's never two stock markets the same. The stories are always different. And that's one of the things you and I uh, love about this. It keeps us young and it keeps us searching for more and more knowledge. Um, The CPI number comes out on Thursday. Obviously, 2022 was a big year of the uh, I-word inflation. 2023, we're going to be talking about the recession a lot. But my favorite character in the, the fairy tales was a uh, little red, not a little red riding hood, but Goldilocks, because she she burglared the bears, broke in their house, and she didn't want things too hot or too cold. She wanted it just right. Is there an inflation number that you would be happy with, or do we? Re- is this really just focused on getting the hot stuff back down to moderate? <laughs> I think that uh, you know it, it's all about progress, not perfection, right now. Uh, okay. And and so we've seen some some progress towards uh, more healthy levels of inflation, uh, but it's been it's been a, a slow move towards that uh, call a two percent inflation target. We're still a ways off, but I think what we're all hoping for this time around on Thursday is that uh, we'll see uh, continued progress, right? And, and and I think many are expecting to see that. We've seen in um, over the last month um, things like gas prices come in. We we've seen. Um, what what we expect uh, um, is, is that grocery uh, prices are, are going to come in. Um, things like uh, a, a botched China reopening may be um, uh, causing some some lower demand um, than, than was expected. And, and so I, I think the, the move lower more recently in, in inflation is less about the Fed's policies uh, and more in response to things like that, right, um, to these uh, supply and demand dynamics um, at a global level. So but either way, if, if it's progress, we shouldn't really complain. Uh, and, and that's, I think, what we're what we're really expecting is is just more of the same. But I think it's we're going to find ourselves uh, next week talking about this and, and saying, look, hopefully uh, we will find ourselves talking about this, that inflation is still trending lower. That's great. The Fed's job is not done yet. Their next meeting is in uh, February. And I think the debate right now is whether they hike by 50 basis points again or where, or whether they, they reduce that to 25 basis points at this next meeting. Um, so we'll see. Um, you know, I, I think there's still plenty of data between now and then, um, and we're going to con- continue to have those debates. But as I'm looking at, at, at the markets right now and, and at this backdrop, I think it's really interesting to see when we're getting data like this, that there's still a big disconnect between what the Fed is seems to be telling us and what the market uh, is interpreting. The, the market is expecting uh, that the Fed to start re- cutting rates actually at the end of the year. 
Uh, and, and so that's really interesting when last week we saw that the minutes from the last FOMC meeting, and it actually said quite clearly that not one participant expects to have to cut rates in 2023. So there's obviously a disconnect there. And how painful is that adjustment to to bring the, the these uh, to align these two views between the market and the Fed? I, I think that's what we're really going to find ourselves talking about here in the weeks to come. I'm going to give a little public service announcement that a little inflation in my history of working with the market is okay. Inflation is not bad in of itself. It's just you want that Goldilocksian just right level. Too much, it causes price disruptions. Um, I've seen recently, just talking about some consumer issues, and this is anecdotally, that Anheuser-Busch said that Americans are starting to cut back on their beer consumption because the price went too high. It got too hot. So they're going to let it moderate a little bit. So inflation in of itself, not a bad thing, in my opinion, as long as it's not too hot. Disinflation, not a great thing either, That's as right. long as it's not too much. So you see how I, my mind works. Um, what a fascinating show Congress put on for us last week, the House of Representatives and n- naming a Speaker of the House. This is important because you have the House of Representatives working with the Senate, working with the president. The last two administrations or the administration, Trump, and now the administration with Biden, they've spent a lot of money. And that adds to inflation when you throw dollars into the economy. Um, It looks like this Congress is really set up for gridlock. Is that going to be a good thing, a bad thing? Or am I speaking a little bit in, how shall we say, over my pay grade? Because trust me, I'm not very good at politics. Well, and I'm no policy expert myself. It, it is included in the research that I consume on a daily basis, though. And, and so I'll, I'll share my perspective here and, and just say that gridlock is good. It, it's good until decisions have to be made. OK, right. and and so the decision that that we're all thinking about and, and, and looking forward to is is that decision about increasing the, the debt, uh, 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 the debt ceiling that's that's coming up. Later in the year, right? So think about in the uh, summer of 23, we'll, we'll be talking about this. And based on the show that we saw play out uh, over the last week or so, it, it took, I believe, 15 votes uh, for Kevin McCarthy uh, to be um, chosen as, as, uh, as House Speaker. That, that's the most, uh, I believe, since 1859. So since that since is Civil War, for it's the pretty amazing. Yeah. And, and, and so I think what that means is that um there is division even within uh within the parties and and division within the republican party and division within the um the democratic party so it's no longer just it's simply one party against the other right and so i think what this means is that kevin mccarthy likely had to give some pretty uh, hefty concessions to secure the votes from those that weren't necessarily uh, in favor of him to begin with and so we're going to see what that looks like how that all plays out when it's time to increase the debt ceiling uh several months down the road um, many of those individuals are probably not uh not going to be too keen on increasing spending or increasing the debt limit uh, without some uh, some reductions in spending. And so we'll we'll see what that all looks like. But I think that's what uh, many are kind of gearing up for is is that battle uh, on the Hill when when tough decisions have to be made. What's interesting about that is 25 years ago when I got into this industry, I really thought that like the debt ceiling was going to be a big thing and it never really turns out to be it always is talk on cnbc and bloomberg and we're scared about it and this is going to be the time but it always does seem to get worked out um it's worthy of note and it's not going to be a perfect record forever and as soon as i bring it up that there goes the no hitter right that's right uh, um anything else that we should be looking at for 2023 as we wrap up our first informed investor market update well just over the near term right the other thing that uh, we didn't cover that i'll be 
um, watching uh, over the next few days and, and several weeks is uh, for, as, is the fourth quarter earnings season. It gets underway this week. It'll start with uh, major financial companies and banks. And so I think that's going to be really interesting. Again, you know, recent earnings seasons um, haven't been important so much because they've told us what happened in the most recent quarter. They've been helpful because they help inform the outlook for future earnings, right? And so we're, we're expecting fourth quarter earnings to be, call it flat, uh, maybe slightly negative year over year. Um, but I think what's going to be really interesting is what kind of guidance we get from companies for the upcoming quarters and, and the upcoming year. Uh, and and so we'll be watching both the the comments from from management as well as how analysts that cover these companies change their view of uh, and their earnings projections going forward. You know, right now, I, again, we talked about the disconnect between the Fed and and the market right now. There's another disconnect it seems between the economic data and the outlook for earnings among analysts. The outlook for earnings suggests that we're going to see earnings growth in 2023 of call it four to five percent. Now, how do you square that with an environment uh, in an economy that that appears to be weakening and heading towards even uh, uh, even a, a minor uh, recession? Right. We we know in in a deep recession, earnings can fall, call it thirty percent or so. We're not expecting that, but you you should see some kind of weakness here in earnings. Uh, and so, I, I think there's two different messages being told there. And and so, I think that's one thing where I'm. I and and I know several others are are looking at and, and expecting some um, some decline in uh, decline in the outlook for earnings going forward, and so that's one thing I'll be watching next week and uh, and in, again in, in in the weeks to come. Let's give uh, one more bonus to our listeners, viewers right now. One of my favorites to watch during earnings season are the banks because they talk about consumer, how much we're spending. Is it on credit? Are we hurting or not? So like Brian Moynihan from Bank of America. I don't think I own any Bank of America directly. I might own it at an S&P 500 fund for disclosure reasons, but I really like listening to some 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 unique perspectives. Is there anyone that you're looking forward to hearing during the earnings season come up with their insights? I think Jamie Dimon. I mean, I mean, yeah. you you mentioned Brian Moynihan. I, I think Jamie Dimon is is one that he's he's just a titan, right? Um, he, he's the the head of J.P. Morgan Chase, and I think he's someone that really everyone follows because he is he's whether you like the company or not, he's uh, he's a pretty bright guy, and he has a pretty good pulse on the economy and on and on the strength of uh, uh, the the health of the consumers and, and corporations. I, again, I. I I agree with you that a lot of the data that you get from from banks and financial institutions is really is helpful. It's informative and, and speaks a lot to the health of the economy. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I certainly will be uh, keeping an eye on what he has to say. I'm looking forward to another big year with you and doing these informed investor market updates. I'm Rob Black with EP Wealth. He is Adam Phillips, CFA, CFP, Director of Portfolio Strategy. Now is a great time to contact your financial team. Go over what you're thinking about for 2023 update information. Super important to stay in touch in these times and markets. Thanks very much. This interview featured on the Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more at robblack.com. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Anything that you ever want to talk about, we can talk about money investing and more. My goal is to get you to retirement. I'm going to be doing it in a seminar coming up in February in Cupertino at one of my favorite locations. 
um, the Juniper Hotel. You can sign up for the event at robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow. If you've been to like four or five of the events, don't come, please. It's the same kind of joke and the same kind of information. Um, but if you're new to it, please do. Uh, there's no entry event fee. There's no code, nothing like that. We're trying to make it a little bit more open and a little bit easier for people. Uh, chat GPT. Let's talk a little bit about that. Chat GPT. I'm seeing some really incredible uses of chat GPT. Now, again, you'll hear the kid do their high school paper. Yes. Write me a two page summary on an eighth grade level about Harry Potter book number two. It can do a pretty good job. <clears throat> you may need to make a typing mistake or two so you don't get caught. I get it. Um, but for me, working with spreadsheets, you can actually ask for a formula on chat GPT and tell it what you want in an Excel spreadsheet. And it'll tell you what the formula is. So it's, you don't have to look up the formulas anymore. It's awesome. <clears throat> um, Microsoft did a t- big $10 billion investment into chat GPT, <clears throat> thinking that it could be a search engine that destroys Google. I tend not to think like that. It's not like Google sitting around going, uh, yeah, we got this good. We got this algorithm. We got the spider technology that goes out and hunts down websites and, and indexes things for people. I'm not there. That uh, They're going to go out of business. I'm pretty sure that they have a pretty good idea what's going on here. So let's go. Uh, so ChatGPT is great for the professional world. You're going to be able to look up complex formulas and have them basically present it to you. Will it be a technology like Clubhouse where it was all the rage in the tech world and suddenly it wasn't? No, I just think it's going to be a super beefy search engine. And it will do away with some jobs. So when you start taking that chat GPT and putting it into a bot, you will not be able to tell the difference between a bot in two years and a human. I know you're saying that's creepy. Um, elsewhere out there, Twitter's next big revenue boosting idea is selling usernames. Eh. According to New York Times report, the social media giant is considering auctioning off usernames to generate more revenue. Engineers are considering organizing online auctions where people could bid for handles. I, Twitter's got a username squatting policy, so they don't permit the buying and selling of usernames. But it's a black market idea for Elon Musk. I still don't get it. I'm just going to be honest with you on that one. I don't get why. He, it looks to me like Elon Musk is trying to pull a Rupert Murdoch and create a media empire where he can buy influence. Um, but I could be wrong. Oh, a little succession. Thank you. I was like, did my microphone go off? Is that like we're experiencing technical difficulties? Can't wait for the next season of Succession. It's so bad, it's good. It was so good that it was wonderful the first couple of years, but then it became kind of silly. Like most shows. Yeah, I kind of wish I was in that family. <laughs> I kind of wish I was in that family. Would I want to be the kid who's the smart one but has the drug problem? Would I want to be the stupid one who's, yeah, I don't know which one I'd be. So let's talk about the economic world. There are actually two unemployment rates, one cyclical and one not. 
this is where it gets wonky on you. And this is where I want to say, this is why I work with CFPs and I work with financial institutions because I think finance is bigger than me. I know finance is bigger than me. Um, I see the tip of the iceberg. I don't see the whole iceberg. So there's a non-cyclical rate of unemployment, which is often overlooked when discussing unemployment. Right now, it's at the lowest level that a healthy economy can sustain without creating inflation. It contains three components. Structural unemployment. That's the result of economic changes that create a gap between what employers need and what workers can offer. Tech advancements, trade agreements, they're the main causes, and it can be hard to fix. Frictional unemployment. This happens when workers are voluntarily out of work and seeking a new job. They're volunteering. Classic example are college grads entering the real world, someone rejoining the labor force, or people quitting one job to search for a better gig. And there's surplus unemployment. This is caused by rising labor costs like minimum wage increases or collective bargaining agreements. So there's structural unemployment, there's frictional unemployment, there's surplus unemployment. Did you know that? Or do you just look at the unemployment rate and go, okay, I got it. When a president makes a trade agreement with another country and says, you know, uh, you produce fertilizer and we'll give you corn. You scratch our back, we'll scratch your back. So that takes out the people in America who was making fertilizer because we're now getting it way cheaper from another country. Which one is that example? Is that structural? Is that frictional? Is that surplus? Anything above the non-cyclical rate of unemployment is considered a cyclical unemployment or joblessness from cycles of economic upturn and downturn. That's when you're in a recession or economic expansion. But despite the current recession vibes, unemployment is still in the realm of non-cyclical. So we look at stock market right now. We look at inflation. We look at interest rates. But we also look at our jobs and we're like, we're actually pretty okay. It's a very strange occurrence right now. Did that cause the recession to be very short? Yes. Could it cause it not to be so deep and painful? Yes. Is that the perfect type of recession? It doesn't kill a lot of excesses. When you're out of a job for two or three years, you're suddenly like, I'm never buying a $40 steak ever again. You're never, you're never going to go to a restaurant and do that ever again because you, you know the pain of losing your job. Anyway, money markets are pricing a U.S. interest rate peak at about 4.9%, following a nearly half a percentage point of rate cuts by the end of this year. So we're going to go a little bit higher, then we're going to come right back a little bit lower. So the Federal Reserve has sent the message that they want rates above 5%, but Wall Street's saying, nope, just going to get close to it, then it's going to start coming back down. BlackRock's going to fire about 500 employees, roughly 2.5% of its workforce. If you ever want to dig around and find some fun research, Google BlackRock and BlackRock thoughts on stocks. You could ask ChatGPT, what does BlackRock think? Um, the research that comes out of BlackRock is amazing. It's solid. A year ago this week, a record 109 container ships carrying U.S. imports surrounded the twin ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach, California. It was a bottleneck so big that the payloads of all those metal boxes lined up end-to-end would have reached from Baja Peninsula to Vancouver, the whole West Coast. 
it was like taking 10 lanes of LA freeway and squeezing them into five port of LA. Uh, they've done a nice job of clearing that, that backlog. So what was a snafu or snarl last year? We're easing in out of this year. The banks that called recession or the banks that cried wolf. I want to give you a little context here. I look for silver linings. I look for how to navigate crises or crises, 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 crises. You get the idea. JP Morgan calls 2023 a bad year for the economy, a better year for the markets. Okay, let's think about that for a second. Don't we love how you can contradict yourself in the same sentence, JP Morgan? But they think the stock market is a leading indicator of the economy, which explains why economic indicators like consumer spending and unemployment were pretty chill as markets plummeted in 2022. JP Morgan expects the opposite this year. They predict a mild recession, but the stock market to work better. That's going in with a thesis of uh, what happened last year on Wall Street was looking towards the first six months of this year and saying, recession, recession, recession. Now we got to play into that recession. Then we'll be in it and we'll be saying, where are we going from this? Expansion, expansion, expansion. That's kind of, I'm paraphrasing what JP Morgan's saying. And because the pain's already been done to stocks, JP Morgan's saying maybe a little bit more pain, but then there's going to be some gain. Goldman Sachs is saying they expect inflation to slow from 5% to 3% by late 2023. So they're seeing the trends going in the right direction. It also predicts the Fed interest rate will max out about five and a quarter percent, but they say no rate cuts this year, unlike JP Morgan. Goldman Sachs is betting against the general consensus that there's some kind of recession approaching. They're saying no. The bank expects growth to remain constant at about 1%. Now, 1% is anemic. It's not great growth. Go ahead and get the recession over with. I'm not bad. I'm not, I'm cool with recessions. They take a lot of the inflation out faster. Now, Citibank is disagreeing with Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan. Which bank is going to be right? Citi disagrees, predicting an imminent recession in which unemployment tops 5%, corporate earnings drop 10%, and nominal spending growth gets slashed by more than half. Citi is confident markets will recover before the economy does, similar to J.P. Morgan. The report is a quick to remind us that over the past 100 years, no bear market associated with a recession has bottomed before the recession has even begun. So they're trying to say, even though we're not in a recession now, the stock market's going higher. So don't count on that because it hasn't done that in the last 100 years. That sounds reasonable to me, right? For more information about EP Wealth, visit robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.